This week on The Lunch, special post-LA Film Critics Awards edition with extraordinary special guests, LAFCA members Amy Nicholson of LA Weekly, freelance and author Karina Longworth, and the rap zone Alonzo Durald. That's The Lunch, brought to you by Snoot Entertainment, proud makers of independent films, and sponsors of this podcast. the hope of spring mirage of loss a few more things you left your sorrow dangling it hangs in air like a school cheer from black notes inside the chords on every wall inflections carved deepest lakes and darkest stars remember we were the volunteers Hi, I'm James Rocky, and welcome to a special edition of The Lunch, a weekly podcast about film and, yes, food, where every week I dine with a creator or a critic in the world of film. And then after that meal, talk about what's going on. This week, though, it's really more of a late lunch or an early dinner, as it's Sunday, the Los Angeles Film Critics Association has just voted on its 2013 award winners, and I'm here in the presence of fellow LAFCA members, Amy Nicholson, Karina Longworth, and Alonzo Durald. I'm your regular host, James Rocky. Thank you very kindly for joining us, and everyone... Thank you very kindly for coming over for lunch. Thanks for having us. It's, uh, it's, uh, it was a very early day. Uh, 45 members in attendance at the LAFCA Awards, which I believe, Alonzo, is a record. It may well be, yeah. I mean, uh, we've come close to that in years past, but yep. uh, that was it was one of our higher uh, numbers. Uh, approximately, I would say, five hours of voting, but also a lunch break mm-hmm. and uh, various bits of laughter and kibitzing. It's not all horrible. And to talk about the first winner that we voted on for production design, we have Ms. Amy Nicholson. Amy, who took the LAFCA vote for production design? Uh, the winner this year was K.K. Barrett for her. Now, it's interesting, production design, because usually this goes to the film with the most visible design, and that's usually a period film, a science fiction film, something with a world that looks not like ours. What I love about the choice this year of her is that it is a science fiction film, but it's just kind of fast-forwarded so vaguely in the future that the design work they did for the film is actually really subtle. The film has, you know, people in normal costumes living in a future L.A., but the clothes are just slightly different than what we'd wear, like the pants are up to the waist, the blouses... Which is unfortunate for gentlemen, but go on, please. <laughs> Some gentlemen it might look good, but it's not yeah. good on a gentleman's ass, from what yeah. I can tell. Uh, and that they, uh, are, they're wearing clothes that almost look like you can find them in a store, but just a little bit different. And I really, I really admire this choice, because I think it is a... A subtle choice that uh, the, but the production design really captures something about the film. You always feel like you're watching a film that's set in the future without them ever hitting you over the head with it. You don't see any flying saucers or doors that <laughs> open. You know, there's, you don't even see a car, which is crazy. There's one great uninterrupted shot where Mr. Phoenix is walking out of the subway and comes out of a subterranean station, goes around a corner... And there's a Santa Monica uh, beach, which is, of course, the dream of L.A. public transit. He's actually in a San Francisco uh, BART station. That's where he starts coming out of. And we just combine the two very effectively. That's true. It's pretty much production design porn, if I can say that. I mean, because w- watching the film, the little the phone that he uses that his Scarlett Johansson falls in love with, I want that phone. 
I want the apartment. I want the shoes. The video game system. I want his video game system. <laughs> Where you would to make your character move, you move your hand like you're a raccoon washing food. That felt a little, <laughs> well, a little awkward. I meant the sort of immersive quality of it. <clears throat> right. It's a sort of a 3D environment that you become part of, but are still without as well. It's it's a movie where all the little tiny touches build up to this very convincing feeling you're a little bit away. His phone is actually based on an antique Japanese cigarette case a production designer found. I want it. I'm tired of black plastic. And the runner-up was Inside Lewin Davis, which I, I think was also just fine work. It just really captures 1960s New York. And it's got a, such a great color palette, that movie. I, in fact, found myself remembering it as being a black and white movie, and then I had to pull stills for my review, and I was reminded, oh no, was in color, but it's just in a very sort of muted color that felt appropriate for the era, you know. Is K.K. Barrett a man or a woman? We, I could not say definitively. I believe she's a young lady. <clears throat> but if we're wrong, we're going to be wrong. So I'm not going to stand by that. Um, one of the great things about the inside of Llewellyn Davis is, uh, I know it's going to sound very nitpicky, but fonts. <laughs> it has great fonts. When you see the... Uh, the duo record or later mm. in the film the fonts are perfect when you see Al Cody's uh, uh, sing a song of questions or whatever it's called <laughs> that looks utterly perfect it's hard to create accurate looking pop culture artifacts and it'll take you out if they do it wrong yes and Inside Llewellyn Davis utterly nailed that Lewin Lewin yes it's Welsh it's either way <laughs> Llewellyn Lewin regardless <laughs> Up next was supporting actress, that of course going to Lupito Nyong'o, who played Patsy in 12 Years a Slave, with June Squibb being the runner-up. Um, again, I'm glad it's, you know, when you talk about people you were interviewed, is that name-dropping or just legitimate point of information? It, it was work. Ms. Nyong'o and I had a chance to speak. And it's not like you had, you know, oh, well, you know, when we were shopping for shoes at Bonnie's. That's right. Uh, and there's that, there's the one great scene in that film which says so much and which just apparently came up on the day is when... Alfred Woodward, in that great one-scene performance, is talking and having tea, and Lupita Nyong'o at one point steals a look at Alfred Woodward, who has been wed out of her social strata. Woodard. Woodard? Woodard. I'm so sorry. That's all right. But, um, and, uh, and Ms. Nyong'o looks at her, sees like she's holding her hand, and then holds her pinky to match. Mm-hmm. And it's a great performance full of smart, sharp stuff like that. I believe there was some discussion of if she came out of nowhere... Uh, or no, she came out of nowhere to do this, to which you, Alonzo, said... It's Yale, nowhere, comma, Yale drama school. That's right. And the corner of nowhere in New Haven. Um, did, anyone, did anyone have any other possible candidates through this? They'd like to, because one of the things about these lists is that as lovely as they are, the roads not traveled on can also be illuminating for people. I'm wondering if people have candidates they want to speak to uh, who are potential uh, for this as well. Yeah, uh, I don't. I, I don't really have any antipathy towards either the winner or the runner-up. But I voted for Oprah Winfrey for her performance in uh, The Butler, which I think is at least as interesting a film about race in America as Twelve Years a Slave is. And. Uh... You're Alonzo, did you any? Um, well, <clears throat> I'm not a fan of the movie, but I did love Margot Martindale in uh, in August Osage County. I felt like while Streep and Roberts were doing their Godzilla versus Megalon thing, she was actually giving a very grounded human performance. She is one of my favorite actresses working today. I think her stuff is so uh, subtle and smart. And I mean, you look at uh, like her contribution with Alexander Payne to Parisia Tem, um, you know, or her performance uh, recently uh, in the second season of um, Justified. I just think she is 
one of our great American actresses right now. I hate the sitcom she's on, but I don't begrudge her the paycheck. Hmm. What sitcom is that? Uh, the Millers, I believe. That's ah, a depressing thing to contemplate. Amy, did you have any other candidates? Yeah, I actually threw <clears throat> my weight towards Sally Hawkins from Blue Jasmine. I think that in a film with slightly exaggerated performances, Sally Hawkins actually really plays a good, lived-in, blue-collar, well-meaning, complicated character. I think she's a British actress who always does tremendous work. I almost felt a bit of guilt even voting for her because we always vote for her. She's just one of those right. people who's perennially in the race. But I would be remiss to not to not applaud her for that role. I believe we honored her for her happy-go-lucky, right? Yeah, we, we did. did. Which is an exemplary performance. Absolutely, um, no question. Certainly, again, while I have no... Uh, oh, curse that squib and Nyong'o! No, I'm fine with both those. But um, it's on streaming right now, actually. What Maisie knew, the performances of both Anata April and Meryl Streep in that... Uh, not Meryl Streep, Julianne Moore in that <laughs> film are exemplary... And well, well worthy of note. A lot of great wordless stuff from both of them. And April, just terrific. Uh, we had up next as the winner being uh, our supporting actor, or the next category, and that came down to a tie. Karina, would you like to speak to that? Yeah, um, it was a tie between Jared Leto for his role in Dallas Buyers Club and James Franco in Spring Breakers. And James Franco was my pick. Um, I was definitely surprised to see the vote go that way, but pleasantly surprised. Um, I just think it's a loony performance that um, takes some real chances. And, you know, Franco is a really easy target because he does so many things. And I think a lot of people have the impression that the stuff, a lot of the stuff he does is boring or pretentious or they want to kind of take him down a peg because a lot of his pursuits seem to be high-minded. But this is just like the most incredible zeitgeist low culture beast of a performance uh i'll allow it and also um is it i mean spring breaker is certainly an admirable film but i mean while watching i could sort of feel its own structure dissipating some of its energy a lot of the characters leave what seems midway through there's a couple of overused sound edits is it i mean is it fair it would certainly be fair for me to say but oh yes franco's a highlight is that do you think there's some degree of we got to give a movie this interesting something, ergo we shine a spotlight on Franco and recognize the whole film, or is it just dedication to his gold-toothed, corn-road, manic energy? I mean, speak for yourself. I don't know. Yeah. But I voted for it in a lot of categories. It's one of my favorite films of the year. I think it's a lot more than just Franco's performance. Uh, and I certainly did not mean. <laughs> uh, Jared Leto, uh, any, anyone have any thoughts on that? It's weird. It's a composite character. It's a character that did not exist in a real story. But at the same time, they don't do anything egregious with that character. I, I'm very much in the minority. There was a lot of love in the room for that performance. I don't like that performance. I find it very surface, very indicate very, oh, look, I'm a straight guy playing a drag queen slash trans character, which, again, the character is so vaguely presented. I said, I described the character as a drag queen in my review and got all these angry comments that, no, it was a trans woman. I was like, well, the, the, the movie is so wishy-washy on the subject, it could go either way. Uh, I was not moved by the performance and, and I, I found it very sort of showy and actory and, and BS. I thought there were a lot better ones in this category this year. I would have loved a, a posthumous nod to James Gandolfini for his mm -hmm. wonderful work in Enough Said. And I think Dane DeHaan uh, steals a very strong ensemble cast but really walks away with uh, Kill Your Darlings. Amy, did you have an alternate possibility in supporting actor? 
I did, yeah. I Franco was my top choice. I did not want Letters to him because I feel like every year when the when the award season comes around, if there's a straight male actor who either A loses weight or B puts on a dress, he's immediately considered like a top contender. And he did both. And he yeah. did both. <laughs> so there you go. Um I was actually hoping for some love for Stacey Keach from Nebraska, who plays Ed mm. Pegram, sort of the heavy in a in a really subtle kind of funny film, and I also threw a little bit of love after Jonah Hill in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, who which is, is a devastating comic comedic yeah. performance. Yeah, I also threw out a vote that went nowhere for Thiago Martins from Upstream Color, who you may know as the Thief, uh, just for his delivery of lines like, "I'm sorry, I have a disfigurement. My head is made of the same material as the sun." And you cannot look directly at me. <laughs> That's some good weird stuff. Um, <clears throat> cinematography went to Emmanuel Lizbeski for Gravity. And who did we say was tackling that? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, it was sort of pointed out in the room that I think what Lubeski does in Gravity is sort of the next generation of what cinematography even is. Because you have to light this stuff knowing that it's going to be turned into effects later. Um, so some people were, were, were saying, oh, it's not really cinematography, it was all done in post, but he apparently was very hands-on, I think, in the post process, and I think really sort of mapped this whole thing out from, from beginning to end. And so it's... I, I think of it more as sort of cumulative cinematography. It's partially what happens on the set, partially what happens in post, but he's responsible for that vision throughout, and it's, it's exemplary work. Uh, and the other thing is that... Uh Again, I have a chance to interview Mr. Lizbeski, and he pointed out quite rightly, the field of cinematography has changed more in the past 10 years than it did in the prior 100. No doubt. Yeah. And I think that stuff like this and Life of Pi, I think the important question for cinematography will now be, how, well, how the devil did it wind up on film? Mm. You know, whether it was atoms or pixels, I think sure. people are interested in. And that in an era of CGI. Composition still counts. Mm -hmm. Shot choice still counts. You know, Michael Bay is not a genius just because he can afford lots of pixels. Uh, and the runner-up in that was, of course, uh, Inside Llewellyn Davis. Uh, Lewin, it's Welsh. <laughs> As I said, Inside Llewellyn... No. Inside Lewin Davis uh, won uh, by uh, Bruno Dalbanel. Uh, a surprising non-Deacon's entry from a Coen Brothers, but uh, <laughs> still, still jolly, jolly good. Anyone else have any other things in terms of cinematography that just popped for them this year? I got laughed at and made fun of for this. In fact, somebody even cancelled out my vote, I think, by trying to vote this at zero points. But The Secret Life of Walter Mitty with Ben Stiller, that is beautiful. It's a postcard movie. You, could, I liked it. I think I'm almost going to be alone in that. But he travels around the world, and I have not seen such beautiful cinematography since Earth, since the Nature series that the BBC did. It's absolutely gorgeous. It is a postcard. Too bad there's nothing written on the back of it. It's true, but we just yeah. pretty, and that's fine. Yeah, much boys. like much like Zoolander. <laughs> uh, animation went to uh, Ernest and Celestine with a runner-up for The Wind Rises, and you were also going to tackle this one. Yeah, I'm a big fan of both films. Right. Uh, I, you know, I, I, the sentimentalist in me wanted to give it. To to Miyazaki because this is his declared last feature and I think it's a gorgeous piece of work I probably would have voted for it I mean, my top choice anyway but Ernest and Celestine was certainly a close second um, you know it, it was interesting to, to the, the sort of pockets of who was who was down for Frozen and who wasn't in the yeah. room, you know that and 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 it didn't come up much in score either, which surprised me. But uh, Ernest and Celestine is, a, is a, I just think so beautifully 
rendered and, and drawn. And I, I, I'm always grateful when somebody does old school cell animation because, you know, uh, CG is great and you can do a lot of things with it. But I, I, there's always room for, for you know, the, 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 the other sort of beautiful kind of watercolor style. Um, this movie got a, a, an awards qualifying run in its original French language version, but uh, it's being dubbed into English or it's been dubbed into English. It's going to premiere at Sundance in that version in January and then get a wider release next year that way. Uh, I saw it in France at Cannes in the French version with no English subtitles and yet mm. still was bowled over because A, the animation is amazing mm. and B, it's nice when the big one and the little one are friends. Um, Absolutely. And I forget the gentleman's name but the Belgian director of this was aided and abetted by the team behind A Town Called Panic Right. and you can see a lot of the very deadpan, exquisite surreal timing of that film mm. in the funny animal, funny, fuzzy animal stuff of Ernest and Celestine. Absolutely. Ladies, any... Uh... I abstained in this category because I didn't see enough animated movies. Mm. Yeah. I saw many of them, but I didn't see Ernest and Celestine. I turned off The Wind Rises, and I only voted for one film, which uh, was Michelle Gondry's documentary, Is the Man Who Is Tall Happy? Which is just an interview between him and Noam Chomsky, and the entire thing he drew was Sharpies. I'm dying to see that. I'm, I, I can tell you, you know those things where you have an instinctive misgiving? I just look at is the tall, as a man who is tall happy, and I think, yeah, because that's one thing the work of Noam Chomsky needs. There's just a lot of visual nonsense, which has nothing to do with it going on over top of it. I think you should see it, man. It's beautiful. It's like seeing chalkboard drawings come to life. I, I own a Michel Gondry uh, painting. He had a thing very briefly on his website where you could send him a JPEG and he would turn it into a painting. So I have one too. I sent him a picture from when Dave and I got married and he rendered us looking monstrous and it's great and I love it. <laughs> I always remember the onion headline about Michel Gondry of Michel Gondry options empty cardboard box for $15 million. <laughs> it can be a pirate ship, it can be a place to stand when the carpeting is lava. <laughs> there, there, was, there was a great. Uh, 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 joke MTV Cribs of Michel Gondry that right. was on, floating around on YouTube and, and yeah the whole house it was done up like the science of sleep and the, he, he had a cardboard box as the refrigerator because a woman broke my heart and it stays cold inside yes <laughs> uh, that guy loves putting ornamentation on ornamentation for music, and here's another thing: people say, "Well, is it best score? Is it best soundtrack?" And it's best. I mean, the answer is yes. <laughs> right? It can be best score. It could be best. It could be one single moment. But Amy, uh, what did we give best music to? This is a close one in the room. Uh, it came down to Lou and Davis and her, and Lou and Davis edged it out. We had an interesting debate. I felt like in the room because. Lou and Davis is a film that's only that's where the music is mainly composed of old folk songs from the 20s, 30s, earlier, reconfigured as though they're being done again in the 60s. So it's just, uh, as one person in the room used the word curated, whereas her is the opposite, just an original beautiful score by Arcade Fire. With the help of Owen Pallett, who's made some great albums under the name Final Fantasy until he got sued into Adams. Exactly. <laughs> I, I felt like both of these were actually very fine choices. I would have been happy with either of them. I'm glad that they are both up there. Um, I hopefully T. Bone Burnett shows up at our awards. I guess again, like he did a couple of years ago. Uh, if he does show up, it's a hell of a band. Um, I was I was kind of rooting for her over Inside Llewellyn Davis, but only because uh, as ever, Lewin, it's Welsh. Lewin, it's Welsh. <laughs> Inside Lewin Davis. Um, has anyone here seen a broken circle breakdown? A film about the Bulgarian uh, or Belgian, 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 Belgian uh, 
uh, bluegrass fans who have a romance, but one of them, a child becomes ill and it's tough. And, and they go through all of this, occasionally pausing for bluegrass songs. And it's like, the music is acoustic, but the manipulation is electric. Like, every <laughs> music cue ties into what's going on. And I, yeah. felt, I felt that a little bit with Inside... Lewin Davis <laughs> and also the second Marcus Mumford opens his mouth on that soundtrack it's like somebody you know pulls a cord and I'm back in 2013 going <laughs> oh thanks Marcus Mumford <laughs> thanks for nothing I'm still waiting for and uh, probably will be waiting a long time I wish somebody would release a soundtrack album for The Box which also with the the Richard Kelly film, yes. which which Palette and some of the RK Fire people worked on, and I wish I thought that was an amazing score, uh, but no one loved that movie, so no one ever listened to the music again. I guess. <laughs> uh, any other like uh, also? Can we just agree? Special citation for Adam Driver doing "Please, Mister no. <laughs> and his warm ups beforehand. That's that's one of the best bad songs written for a movie since Ishtar. <laughs> that might be one of the best bad songs written for a movie since that thing you do. That's a great song. Are you yes, crazy? but it also it also has a vocabulary of eight functional words. Yeah, well, well that, and that makes it true to the era. <laughs> that's actually very true. It's just a little, little bit grady. Uh, then we had best director, and that went to Mr. Alfonso Cuarón of Gravity, with Mr. Spike Jones of a runner up. Um, in terms of a direction, I think what was going on in the room was just the whole question of. This is such a magisterial technical achievement that really pushed things forward. It must be recognized. I, when Avatar came out, I said, congratulations, you pushed the envelope. Too bad it's empty. I don't feel like the envelope for gravity is empty. I just feel like some of the things in it are a bit familiar-ish. It, you know, I love the movie, but I think I, I went in being with such praise being heaped upon it. I kind of felt like it's sort of a Perils of Pauline writ large, but the writ large is so great that you don't mind the rest of it. I'm probably, I think I probably liked All is Lost more just because they don't give you a backstory and it doesn't matter, you know. Uh, but it's a similar kind of survival tale. Out of the two year of floating dangerously films, I too preferred All is Lost because it was very quiet. But like, I mean, the old maxim of like great drama is Put your characters in a tree, throw rocks at them, get them down. And then Gravity is just a very, very, very high tree. Uh, and the runner-up, of course, Spike Jones for her. Like, just such a perfectly made, perfectly composed film. It, it looks lightweight, it isn't. It's like hand-carved lint. Everything <laughs> belongs where it goes and works as well as it does. And also, again, a lot of human beings have not seen this, but definitively built towards possibly the only ending it could have and does not pull the the follow through on that I should think which is a, a simple reason to admire it or no, am I talking crazy here I'm not talking crazy <laughs> no but everyone's being quiet so that's good no I want to hear what Karina says I feel like we've been, I, 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 I always feel like I have big loud man syndrome <laughs> and I, I, I'm very self-conscious about stepping on when women participating in a conversation we prefer so. the word term lady folk Yes. <laughs> well, I like her a lot. It's one of my favorite movies of the year for sure, and I think it's definitely the pro- it's the most personal movie that I've seen of Spike Jones's. Um, and so he was my choice when it came down to the two of them. But my actual first choice was Martin Scorsese for The Wolf of Wall Street, which is um, I don't think it's a, I don't think it is a perfect film, but um, there's an epicness to it that I'm really kind of in love with and. 
Um, just, I mean, those like large crowd scenes. The just feet, the chaos the of them. The feat of direction there is pretty exciting, and I just also it's like it's the nuttiest physical comedy I've seen in a long time. It's basically, for the first two hours, it's basically Morgan Scorsese's Jackass. <laughs> if only uh, the gang from Jackass had destroyed pensions, taken people's houses away, destroyed newspapers. Uh, well, that's know, the thing. It's like, when it's, once it stops being Morgan Scorsese's Jackass, then it starts becoming about something. Yeah. I, I had, to, you know, a uh, line I wish I'd said as uh, one of our, our Lafka fellow members said as we were walking back to the car after that, which was that she said that, that American Hustle is a better Scorsese movie than Wolf of Wall Street, which I kind of agree with. I, if, 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 if I had to put one of those movies that reminded me more of Goodfellas, where the, it remained propulsive but at the same time told this amazing story and had these really fascinating characters, I lean more towards American Hustle. I like Wolf of Wall Street a lot, but I think it's, it, it is an imperfect film and, and the, its imperfections get in the way for me a little on, on a directorial level, Wolf of Wall Street is the equivalent of one of those like uh, air blower fed inflatable apes you see on top of like a used car dealership. It's full of energy and it's all pumped up and a little bit hollow for me. You know, once you, once you cut the power, it just goes block that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that metaphor? No, nothing. It was just have you heard that before? It was dizzying. I was way busy where it was going to well, go. It was lively. <laughs> uh, um, I mean. Uh, uh, there are also uh, who are some of the other people we're hearing for that we're hearing Mr. Jones there was hearing... a lot of love for Alexander Payne a lot Steve of love McQueen. for Mr. Payne a lot of love for Mr. a lot of love for Mr. McQueen I, I and uh, 12 Years of the Slave like just one of those great things that I had the chance to speak to Mr. Sean Bob the cinematographer and the one shot in it where Mr. Ejiofor is looking towards an uncertain future and the dawn of the light of day is changing and then he looks sort of to camera in this great little meta note they shot that in a car park. That was a pickup. Mm. So we're just standing in a parking lot, poor Chuatel Jayafor is in like his fancy lad collar. Mm. And like it does it. Move a camera a little bit or we'll see an Audi. In terms of the filmmaking achievements, that's wow. fairly solid. Uh, I think I think Amy and I were among the, the few partisans for Noah Baumbach this year. That is uh, Ms. Gerwig gives a great performance in that film and it looks great. Yeah. I, I adore that movie. It's it's arguably my favorite movie this year. I really did too. I mean, especially because unlike Gravity, I think it's it looks ca- more casual than it is. Mm. Mm-hmm. I just really admired it, and also knowing that they did what upwards of seventy takes for some of those scenes. Like, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the feat of stitching it together and of still being able to keep his to keep it as a con- a coherent, consistent tone film. Mm. I think that's really impressive. Yeah, I voted for it for screenplay. In terms of documentaries, uh, it was a, a heated battle, but Karina, the eventual winner, was, of course... Stories We Tell, uh, Sarah Polly's documentary, um, basically tracing her attempt to uncover a mystery in her own family. Um, it includes a lot of dramatizations that are, I guess, unheralded as dramatizations, although it becomes pretty clear what they are while you're watching the film. Um, so I, I really like that movie a lot, but my choice, my top choice, was the film that got our runner-up designation, which is *The Act of Killing*. *Act of Killing* is a crazy strong film. What's, what's great about *Lafka* is it's the only organization where you get somebody standing up and saying, "The cut, which was forty minutes longer, was a lot better, a lot more alienating and strange and, and important." And someone is Robert Colbert. Yes, <laughs> but. Uh, First of all, I think it's great to see stories of we tell doing so well, mm-hmm. at, rather being released rather early in all of this nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, and active killing, 
is a great film, is a tough film, is worth seeing, and is also one of those documentaries that really works on a large screen, where it's, like, the cinematic nature of it is important. Yeah. I agree. I almost considered putting it up for cinematography. It was just such a beautiful documentary. This is an odd year for documentaries, because, I mean, I'm also a festival programmer, it's one of my other hats, and I saw a lot of really amazing work this year, and I think there were a lot of documentaries that were sort of, that were great, that were out there, but in terms of ones that actually made it to audiences and got written about. Right. You know, like after Tiller, played at Sundance, played at Outfest, several places, but didn't really get any kind of theatrical traction. Uh, I thought God Loves Uganda was really powerful, and that didn't really... So, whereas last year you had movies like, you know, How to Survive a Plague and Searching for Sugar Man that really found an audience and and, and had some theatrical momentum, despite the strength of the content this year, for some reason those those movies just didn't translate. So I think stories we tell was maybe helped by the fact that there weren't enough other films that came along theatrically this year to sort of usurp it in people's minds. I'll certainly allow that. Uh, other nominees mentioned included uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, or as I call it, VH1's Behind Bracket and 20 Feet to the Left Bracket, the music. <laughs> uh, and also uh, Blackfish got a certain amount of support mm-hmm. and affection. Anything else that was on people's minds? Uh... I was surprised that there wasn't more attention paid to the unknown known um, Errol Morris's film about Donald Rumsfeld. I don't know if people haven't seen it or just weren't impressed by it. Well, but... it's, it's not technically opening till next year, I think. I think oh, this year okay. it was festivals and maybe an awards run. Oh, okay. So that, I, I suspect we'll be hearing about it a uh, year from now. I the... guess I just assumed it was a release for this year because I got sent a screener. Right, no, I did yeah. too. But uh... I think the biggest problem with the unknown known is that it could work from the uh, alternate title, Donald Rumsfeld is not sorry for a goddamn thing and certainly isn't going to tell you if he is smart boy with a camera. <laughs> I mean, the guy is a pure sociopath. Yeah, well, it's uh, fascinating, I think. It is fascinating, but he gives up so little. Mm-hmm. He gives up so... There's no... Even, jo- even you know, Joseph Congo at the end of Act of Killing has, has, <laughs> has contemplated more of the cost of his actions right. than Donald Rumsfeld. But well, I just feel like that's what's <laughs> chilling about it. Well, it, it, watching the, you know, watching the Unknown Knowns is a lot like watching Wolf of Wall Street. It's like, oh, these are the boys, not men, who've been ruining America for the past 40 years. It's really disconcerting to see them in their natural habitat. Well, we do have to applaud the LAFCA member who voted Donald Rumsfeld for Best Actor. I, I <laughs> contemplated it. He was kind of my number four. That LAFCA <laughs> member also gave the Croods its only vote. So with no names, we'll just... And the Lone Ranger. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, so, uh, stories we tell, Act of Killing, uh, really strong year for documentaries, so Let the Fire Burn also got a lot mm, of yes, regard. As one of those rare docs that's made up solely of arc footage. It also got some editing nods and it's strongly recommended that people take a look at that. Uh, and actor was next. Amy, who was our winner? Uh, our best actor went to Bruce Dern for Nebraska, which I think might be one of our most normal picks this year <laughs> in terms of things that are likely to get a lot of traction in the months ahead. I mean, Bruce Dern plays a very first stages possibly of Alzheimer's Man who is convinced, convinced that he has uh, a million dollar ticket. He has this wild hair. He's an amazing character actor who's been around since it feels like the dawn of time. <laughs> uh, at least the mid sixties, right? At least the mid sixties. He goes back to Corman and and you well, know. He's older than me. So the, man's, the man's in Silent Running. If you're like a fully grown man in 1973, Silent Running, you have some mileage. On he's you. also. I think. He, I think he's the. He's the only or one of few people to ever kill John Wayne on screen. Yeah, in the Cowboys. That's true. He's infamous for that. Um. Yeah, uh, Nebraska was, uh, and the runner-up was, of course, uh, 
Chiwetel Ejiofor for 12 Years a Slave, which I just appreciate I had a chance to say. Yeah, Chiwetel Ejiofor. I was pausing to make sure you said it instead of me. It's almost as much fun as saying Lewin. I like saying Lewin. I, I apparently I, I now love saying Lewin. It was really hard to learn how to spell Lewin. I have I got clolaloved until I say Lewin. I have to admit I'm I'm happy with Dern. I think he's great. I do think there's a touch of the we should just give this guy an Oscar already uh, element to it, some sentimentality. My top choice was Phoenix. Uh, River, uh, River Wow. Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix. Oh, sorry. Too soon. Joaquin Phoenix soon. for what is essentially a very complicated double act performed exactly. with an actress who, A, was not there, and B, was a different actress. Because it was later it. replaced, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, which is why, I mean, I would love it if on the hypothetical DVD of her you could hear a Samantha Morton edit just because... I think a less identifiable voice might have helped that role. I have a confession. I, I had not looked at the credits or anything, go or read any much about the film going in. I thought the entire movie it was Rashida Jones. <laughs> it wasn't until it was over that I realized it was Scarlett Johansson. You didn't get the whole I'm a I'm a sexy I'm a sexy smoking baby thing that. Uh, I, well, I, it just it sounded so like Rashida Jones to me. I just was convinced that's who it was, and I just went with it. And then at the end of the film, I was like, oh, well, that's a surprise. Any other alternates that people should look at in a field, Karina? Or? Well, my pick was uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, because I've never seen him give a performance like that. You know, he's been one of the most charismatic, interesting actors, I think, for the past two decades. And just the physical comedy he does in this movie is... Beyond, it's just nothing that I had ever expected to see from him. Him rolling to the car, yeah, yeah. Oh god, and, and, and that and like, it's weird in that Leonardo DiCaprio has already been in a better riff on The Great Gatsby than he was <laughs> in The Great Gatsby. Yeah. By, I was also glad that there was some love in the room for Oscar Isaac in Inside the Wind Davis because he's been also trucking off about a decade in minor parts. He was the uh, the husband and drive. drive. Yeah. And to see him just sort of show up and hold a movie. I think the Coens have a way of anointing the next actor that they really think has a lot of talent, like they did to Michael Stuhlberg mm-hmm. in uh, Serious A Man. Serious Man. And I want to see Oscar Isaac get some more stuff. Uh, I was very happy. This, this was a... This was the tightest race of the day. Yes. Going into the runoff, it was, a, it was just a matter of a few votes in any direction. Uh, I was very excited that uh, one of the top vote-getters was Robert Redford. He gets a hard time sometimes for his acting, and deservedly so sometimes, but I thought his turn in uh, All Is Lost was riveting. Uh, that he conveys so much with his physicality and his face. I mean, it is a great silent film performance. There is, uh, you know... Almost no dialogue, and I just, I was on the edge of my chair as much for watching Redford do his thing as I was for the, how the rest of the film was assembled. And yes, although I do want to repeatedly grab him and go, maybe you bring an extra radio. Kidding. <laughs> uh, Although when, when when the boat gets hit by the cargo container and all those tennis shoes came out, yeah. I did have to stop myself from yelling out sneakers. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Up next was Best Actress. And Alonzo, you have the duties for stating our tie there. A tie, yes. Two very, uh, very uh, beloved uh, performances in the room. Uh, Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine and Adele Exarchopoulos for Blue is the Warmest Color. So uh, the answer to Am I Blue is yes if you're an actress. Um, And, you know, I think they're both... Interestingly different performances. I mean, Kate Blanchett is very, uh, you know, it, 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 she's doing a turn of a version of Blanche Dubois. 
you know, I think the, as as it's presented in the film, and so it's it's a very twitchy, nervous. She's consuming all available oxygen kind of performance, uh, but a good one. I mean, I don't, no less no less interesting for it. And I think what Adele uh, Xarkopoulos is doing is a lot quieter, a lot more internal, and she has to age. Uh, significantly, and, and an, an interesting period in a woman's life. She ages from, I think, 16 to sort of 22, 23, and conveys that without a lot of external trappings. But, you know, you you believe her at both ages. Manner, demeanor, mien, etc. all exactly, change. Exactly, right. Uh, any, did, did anyone, uh, I certainly cast a vote for Julie Delpy. Uh, being terrific. Terrific in Before Midnight. I also remember uh, walking out of my press screening of Before Midnight, two women going, Oh my God, I hated her. Oh my God, she was insufferable. And I thought to myself, that tingling sensation is what tells you it's working. <laughs> uh, did anyone else have any thoughts about the field for actress? I mean, I, yeah. My number, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. My number one pick was Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Enough Said, which, yes. I mean, kind of like the Leonardo DiCaprio performance. Uh, she was just showing me that she was capable of things that I had never imagined, just in terms of the way that she was using her face and her body to tell you what the character was thinking and what was going on with her. I just thought it was absolutely incredible. And that was a character that would have been very easy to be unsympathetic mm-hmm. and unlikable. And she takes you to weird places and and uh, activity that is not defensible, and yet you are you with are. her mm-hmm. the whole way. Uh, as mentioned before, Greta Gerwig, I thought it was just extraordinary. Yeah, I definitely voted for Gerwig. My top vote was for Scarlett Johansson, because I, the fact that she had to come into a film where another female voice was already recorded match her cadence to Joaquin Phoenix's when it was already done, and then can be a completely convincing character without even a body. Hmm. I found everything she did in that film absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. And I also was hoping we could take a stand against the fact that the Golden Globes have declared that that is not an acting performance. Maybe if we could put her voice work on top of Redford <laughs> together, that would count as one... Uh, I mean, if we could sort of like get into a little bit of inside baseball, I think one of the issues um, in the room for voting was that there was no agreement as to whether it was a leader or a supporting performance. Exactly. In her? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she came up, she was mentioned for both. I think know. I actually voted for in both, just, and, just to test out who <laughs> I know that Anata April came up in both supporting and lead as well. So again, that, from what Maisie knew, that's another question. Uh, is it? Does anyone else look at Blue Jasmine and think this film demonstrates that Woody Allen just doesn't talk to human beings anymore? <laughs> doesn't it feel really like airless and weird and there dri- are, driven by a co- condescending coincidence? There are I things in terms of nice this time. Well, we are, but th- there are some things about it. Like I don't think he understands how the internet works, right? You know that where she's taking the computer class to learn how to get on the web. I was like. You just get on the web. I mean, I don't know. There, there were there, there were some moments like that that are kind of tone deaf. I thought his he's really riding the edge on his portrayal of blue collar people as far as like threatening to spill over into total condescension, but I think manages to pull it pull pull it back. You know, uh, I, I I admire the fact that uh, you know Andrew Dice Clay and Louis C.K. are so terrific. And uh, you know. however, Louis C.K. is way better in American. He hustle. is better. He steals yeah. scenes uh, right uh, wholesale. 
For screenplay, Alonzo, uh, our winner was... Uh, that would be from oh, Mr. Linklater, yes. Mr. Mr. Hawk, and Ms. Delpy. Before Midnight, uh, which is the, 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 the third and what they call the lowest grossing trilogy ever made. Um, yeah, which, which brings us back to the characters that they created originally in Before Sunrise, and then returned to in Before Sunset, and uh, now uh, develop as a, as a married couple with children of their own in Before Midnight. Uh one of my favorite movies of the year. I think so smart about relationships and just the what happens to people who've been together for a long time. I mean, I, I saw it and immediately in, knew I had to see it with Dave when he saw it. And I went hmm. and saw it again a couple of days later. And it's funny because they're, they're, at one point when they're walking and one of them says, if you, if you could change anything about me, what would it be? And he immediately turns out, I know what it would be. <laughs> so you would like tomatoes. <laughs> it was just, I mean, it's a stupid thing, but it just, it, it, the, so much of that movie felt right, even if it wasn't so, just something that I directly experienced. It just, it, it, it was, it seemed honest and true. And the fact that they make it seem so um, improvisatory when it's written, you know, within an inch of its life, you know, uh, that, that opening sequence where they're just driving and having that one extended conversation and the camera doesn't cut uh, is brilliant stuff. It only looks easy, is what I would say about sure. filmmaking like that. And uh, you and Dave have been together 20 years and he only wants to change the fact that you don't like to meet him. <laughs> yeah, well, we must be doing something that's right. That's true, love. That's beautiful. Uh, Mr., uh, Mr. Spike Jones, of course, was the runner-up for her. His first original screenplay? Or his first solo screenplay. Solo original, yeah. And really, really good and finely done and full of, like, really appreciable stuff. That uh, Whether, I mean... We don't do an adapted original category, which is always very interesting. I mean, I it's weird for me to say this because as a novelist, he's awful, but John Ridley, uh, Glenn Kenny did a great piece on what specific pieces of dialogue from 12 Years a Slave, the book, wound up directly in 12 Years a Slave, the movie, and it was illuminating to have that bit of digging to go, hmm. okay, they in fact kept to the text of the document to convey these important things. And I was actually impressed by that as a job of adaptation, even though John Ridley's crime novels are horrible. <laughs> well, and someone was, was aghast that he wasn't nominated for a DGA award, and I said, well, to quote Jack Morrissey is when he came on my podcast, Google John Ridley and Scab, and you'll find out why. Yeah, because he's a, a violence right strike. Correct. Yeah. Yeesh. Um, finally, of course, we had Best Picture... Yet another tie. Yet another tie. Her and gravity, from the confines of your brain to the outside of space. Karina, is this a fairly good stab? Is this, or is this just one of those wacky, wackadoo things that only happens from when Lafka votes, where you get ties? Um, I'm a little disappointed, to be honest. Like, I feel like if, of all the categories, best picture should be best picture, and I wish that, you know, I mean. Our rules are our rules, and if there's a tie in the second round of voting, then there's a tie in the second round of voting. But um, I just, I guess I would have preferred something more definitive. Um, also, not unprecedented, as it turns out. Not unprecedented. I, I guess I saw that it happened um, in the 70s where one flew over the cuckoo's nest and Dog Day Afternoon tied, which is pretty high-quality tie. Yeah, and Rocky um, and Rocky and Network, too, I think. Do you think we'll feel the same way about these two in 30 years? I mean, I already just could take or leave gravity. So. Same here. Yeah. Um, I think that in terms, it's, it's one of those things of, you know, when Peter Jackson got Oscars for Lord of the Rings, I couldn't help but think that those were at a certain point 
congratulations, you got this very large fish in the boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, fact, the fact that gravity happened without anyone going blind, anyone going crazy, it costing billions of dollars, or it just being like lifetime movie level writing. I think people are like, oh my god, you got that fish in the boat. Here's for you. It does feel weird to give a co-best picture to something that never was a strong runner in best actors or best screenplay. It, it wasn't strong in anything but technical categories. At the same oh, time. Director. And, the oh, same, and director. And yeah. cinematography. And do you look at the gestalt of a film? Is that, do you judge best picture on like just its subject or is it a gestalt? Is it how it's made? Is it like... I mean, certainly there were people in the room who were upset that we weren't giving the prize to 12 Years a Slave because they thought it was the most important film. Yes. And importance is very different from technical accomplishment, you know. Well, um, one person even said, like, I, I'm, I'm voting for 12 Years a Slave as the most important movie of the year, but not as the best film of the year. Right. Which, and, and I, I think that's a, that's a tricky territory to get into in, in a, something like this where you're evaluating based on artistic merit versus, you know, what it's saying. It, it's that whole thing of, you know, back back with the, the old Academy rules for the documentary category, where if you made a Holocaust movie, everybody was going to sit through the whole thing, and if you made Paris is Burning, the flashlight started turning on after ten minutes, like, eh, get this off. Yeah. You know, or, or Hoop mm-hmm. Dreams or whatever, because it wasn't capital I important. Right. Uh, I think... It's always going to, you know, you, you, it's weird because people say, oh my God, this group has too much consensus, or critics groups lead to consensus. And I, I found this to be a true very much in the, the foreign race because everybody was like, oh, I like A, B, and C. Oh, I like D, E, F. I like G, H, I. And the field got so broad, it was really hard for that to emerge. So, I, I mean, the idea of like best pictures, plural, is intriguing, but at the same time, if we're going to have, you know, a, big capital, you know, M movie that has lots of technique, but it's still about emotion, and a big capital E emotional movie that still involves plenty of technique. I don't feel like that's a bad split. I just think we should all get cookie baskets from Warner Brothers. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, and which takes us to the Next Generation Award, which went to Ms. Megan Ellison of Annapurna Pictures, who has backed American Hustle, who has backed her, who has backed Zero Dark Thirty, who has backed... Uh, the Master Master's Spring Breakers. Uh, it's all very good stuff. And, you know... I have mixed feelings about this. I mean, I, I admire the fact that she's sort of the Lady Bountiful of a certain kind of indie film. But I think that she... Her selections are a fairly safe kind of indie film. She backs directors who have track records. You know, uh, I don't... I, I think stepping up to make a Paul Thomas Anderson movie or even a Harmony Korine movie is not the same as, as you were pointing out, somebody giving Shane Carruth money after nine years, you know, to make the follow-up to Primer, you know. So, I mean, I, I'm glad that she does what she does. I would love it for more people to have her sense of vision and to 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 put money into films that aren't going to be, you know, $500 million blockbusters, you know, that are going to open big in China. But I think that she's she kind of plays it safe a little, and I don't know that that that's I, you know I mean I, again I'm glad that I'm glad she does what she does. I just think that that let's not go crazy with making her out to be the new Irving Thalberg. To be fair, most of America's billionaires devote themselves to more leisurely pursuits, like simply buying political parties. True. So the idea of somebody making good, tasteful movies is a nice welcome <laughs> change. Amen. Uh, really, just really quickly to just pull take the temperature of the room. 
who was your call for who would you have voted for for next gen? Or if you could just like go, bang, that's the award. Who would it be? Uh, Megan Ellison, one hundred percent headline okay. actually, because even though Spike Jones and Paul Thomas Anderson have done great work before, I actually like these last two recent films that they've done under her supervision better than the films they both did immediately before that. I feel like she's good at finding talent or, you know, picking out talent that we all know is talent, but then also giving them the room to be who they are. And I think that, that it's no coincidence that I like their later films under her wing better. Ms. Longworth? I voted for Shane Carruth um, because I just... Same here. I, you know, I think that Upstream Color is one of the best films of the year and his... Um, just the total artistry of it and the fact that most of it was done by one person. Yeah. Um, I just, I really wanted us to honor it somewhere. Um, and I thought that next gen was the most obvious place, but I lost. I, I was backing Mr. Carruth for next gen as well. I was also thinking in terms of, uh, uh, Destin Cretton from short term 12. Mm -hmm. That's a crazy strong film. And Lake Bell, who's in a world I liked specifically as a show business movie and as a movie about the L.A. in which we live, not the one which we see in the films. <laughs> uh, I was a big backer of J.C. Shandor, who made all his laws, because I, I, I love the movie, and the fact that this is it's his second film, and his first film was Margin Call, which I thought was also terrific, and so completely different. You go from a movie with a, a huge cast, talking a mile a minute, and, you know, all this sort of financial jargon and making it, you know, understandable to an audience and giving it a dramatic through line to this spare film with one character and virtually no dialogue and all physical action. It's like, okay, that's that's as alpha and omega as you get in two movies. And so, well, who knows what this guy's got next in his quiver. So, well, I wish that what we would have done at the end of the meeting is we passed around a hat, everybody threw in a couple bucks... We buy Shane Cruz a ticket to the awards dinner, and we sit him at the same table with Megan Ellison. There you go. That would actually be terrific. <laughs> Thank you all very kindly for listening to The Lunch. Uh, all of our guests have been incredibly gracious of their time, starting with Ms. Karina Longworth, at Karina Longworth on Twitter. She is the author of Meryl Streep, Anatomy of an Actor, which will be out from Fidon on January the 15th. Karina, thank you very kindly for joining us. Thank you for having me, James. We've also had Alonzo Dorald of therap.com slash linoleumknife.com, the home of his wildly entertaining podcast. Thank you very kindly, sir. Thank you for having me. And Ms. Amy Nicholson of the LA Weekly, who can be found on Twitter at the Amy Nicholson. I'm James Rock, your regular host, and this podcast can be found on Twitter at the Lunch Podcast. One final question. What one film during all of this frantic watching and discussing and what have you were you most glad you found? The Act of Killing. The Act of Killing was the one you hadn't seen Absolutely. before the whole go through the year end process. Absolutely. Excellent. I sat down and watched it a month ago and I just want everybody to watch that film. And that's from Draft House Films. Ms. Longworth? Uh, well, I didn't see it during the screener watching time, but I think that the movie that I was most glad that I saw this year um, was enough said. Uh, if we're talking about the, the we, that I only watched because of the awards, yeah. uh, it would be a tie between Act of Killing and Ernest and Celestine. And mine would have to be A Touch of Sin, a mm. terrific film by a strong Chinese f filmmaker, a, a film that literally right now cannot be seen. In its own country. In its own country. Uh, but... Uh, after I watched that movie, I actually wanted to marathon Gamora and Manufactured Landscapes in terms of being about like the intersection of crime and capital and this very changed Chinese landscape as a fast-forward through uh, capitalism. 
Yes, Touch of Sin. I, I was on the. Uh, I look at international films for the Spirit Awards this year, and that was one we were all crazy about. One final question: worst film, <clears throat> worst film of the year, Amy. Oh God, uh, I didn't even see it, but I'm just going to go Grown Ups too. Uh, just on a philosophical level, excellent. Uh, I did see it, and I'm going to say Grown Ups too. <laughs> I did not see Grown Ups too, but I'm going to say The Counselor with advice for everyone: if you show up at somebody's house and they have a cheetah on a leash. Leave. And Ms. Longworth, your worst film of the year? Whatever that Superman movie was. Man of Steel? Whatever that Superman movie was. And with that somewhere, Zack Snyder breathes a hearty sigh. You've been listening to The Lunch. My guests have been Amy Nicholson, Alonzo Durald, and Karina Longworth. I'm your regular host, James Rocky. Thank you for listening. In between now and the next time we talk, go to the movies with your friends. Talk afterwards. Maybe over a meal? It's a good thing. Under your wheels, the hope of spring Mirage of loss, a few more things You left your sorrow dangling It hangs in air like a school cheer From blank notes inside the chords On every wall, inflections carved Deepest lakes and darkest stars Remember we were the volunteers And nothing more Now it's my rights versus yours Cheers.